welcome to the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And our student ministries exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Our whole goal is to come alongside parents and helping their kids follow Jesus Christ. And so what you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached on our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30. And as you listen, I pray that you are encouraged and that you would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ as we behold Him in His glory. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Okay, we're continuing our series through the Ten Commandments. So we've been studying, it's, it's ten, ten words of what God wants us to do and what He wants us not to do. What we should do, what we shouldn't do. It's God's law. So, we're studying for three reasons. JT said this a while ago when he preached that one. It's because the law is a, it's a leash. It restrains our sin. It keeps us back from sin. Second, it's a mirror. It shows us how sinful we are. It exposes our sin so we can repent of it. And so we can also go to Christ and he'll forgive us our sins. And the third thing it does is a map. It guides us in how we're to live out of gratitude for what Christ has done for us, obeying him. So... It's a map to guide our life. And each week, you guys can go to Exodus 20, verse 15. That's where we're going to be. Start launching off from. Each week we start in Exodus 20 and then we go to the rest of the Bible to see what it tells us about that one specific command. And this week we're on the eighth command, which is, yeah, Exodus 20, 15. So we'll be going, starting from there, and we'll be going to the New Testament. So if you are there, say... Say no. No. That's awesome. Okay, I'm glad you guys are, are there. Okay, Exodus 20, verse 15. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. So the first four commands are about loving God. The last six commands about loving our neighbor. If you're stealing, you're not loving your neighbor as yourself. You're saying, I'm more important than you. What I want matters more than what you want. I don't care that it belongs to you. I want it. Me, me, me. I matter more than you. So I'm going to take it. So that's the first command. You shall not steal. George Mueller of Bristol. Have you guys ever heard that name? George Mueller yeah. of Bristol? He, yeah, he was a godly man who spent his life helping other people, giving to other people, being generous, helping orphans. But he didn't start off that way. He was born into a rich family, and they gave him whatever he wanted. When he was a kid, they said, you know, we'll just give him all the money he wants. And maybe as we do that, he'll learn how to use money wisely. It did not work out that way. He, him, him and his brother both became very selfish. And he especially, just his whole life, he was known for stealing and thieving and lying about it, trying to cover it up. So he stole from his parents. He stole from his friends, his brothers. And it got worse and worse. And his parents would rebuke him, but he tried to hide it more. He'd keep doing it. Eventually, his dad was like a ruler in the government in some way, and he had government funds, and George Mueller even stole some of that money from them because he found it in the house somehow. And they would keep catching him, keep telling him no, but he'd keep doing it. And then he'd lie to try to cover it up. And this just went on and on for 20 years, and no one really trusted him because of that. He was a thief. He was selfish. He did not love his neighbor as himself. But then when he was 20 years old, God saved him. God brought him out of the darkness. God gave him a life. And he transformed George Mueller. So that now we do know him as the man who helped thousands and thousands of orphans in England. 
He spent his life giving to others, serving others. And he died pretty much in poverty because he never kept anything for himself. He always gave it away. Whenever they had a need, he'd pray. He'd ask God, God, provide this because I don't have the means on my own. One time, it was breakfast time. They had the plates all set up, but they had no food to provide. So they just set up the plates and they prayed and they said, God, we know you're going to provide because you care about orphans. And a milk truck broke down outside and they said, we got to get it because it's going to rot and spoil if we don't have it drink. So they fed all the orphans. God provided. He's a man of faith, a man of generosity, because God changed him from being a stealer to a giver. And that's what this command's about today. That's what we're going to be learning about in, in this command. So go to Ephesians 4.28. This is going to be kind of where we're going to camp to explain what the Eighth Commandment requires. Yeah. But th- that story about George Miller is just a perfect picture of the passage tonight. Because the main point that I want to convey to you is that the Eighth Commandment shows how Jesus changes us and calls us to change our greedy hearts and grabbing hands to generous hearts with giving hands and to live a life of sacrificial service to others. So yeah, turn to Ephesians 4.28. Ephesians 4.28. And this passage comes in the whole book of Ephesians where God's been showing them the riches of God's grace, the riches of His grace in saving them in forgiving all their sins, in lavishing his love on them when they were dead in sins, when they were rebels. And so, as always, I also need to turn there and I always forget. (laughs) So for some context, if you go back, this is part of a bigger section. 420 is part of a bigger section that starts in 417 where he tells them, In light of all that God's done for you, all his grace he's shown to you. Now this I say and testify in the Lord Jesus. Verse 17, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. He says, that's how you once walked. You were ignorant of God. And you were living for your sinful passions. But don't walk like that anymore. That is not the way you learned Christ. I think that's verse 19, verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put away your former manner of life, which belongs, oh, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It says your old self is ignorant. Your old self lived for sinful passions. Put it away. God's made you new. He's made you a new creation. And then start renewing your minds in the knowledge of God. No longer be ignorant. And then start living to please him. Make that your new desire. It says put off your old self. Put on your new self. And then you see, then after that, in verse 25, he starts a series of commands where he tells them just to do that. You once lied. Put, but put away falsehood. Instead, speak the truth. Put off falsehood, speak the truth. And if you go to verse 29, it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. That's like what we talked about last week with when you're making sexual jokes and all those kind of things. That's corrupting talk. It degrades people. But, in, but only, so put away that corrupting talk. Instead, speak what's good for building up. Put off corrupting talk. Put on speech that's good for building up. And then verse 30, it says, or verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor be put away from you, along with all malice. So put away your anger and put on this. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, 
as God in Christ forgave you. Put off your anger, put on love. Put off falsehood, put on truth. Put off corrupting talk. Put on, like you're putting clothing on, you've been washed, put new clean clothing on. Put on edifying conversations. And that's what brings us to verse 28, where it says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. Put off stealing, but rather let him labor. Doing honest work with his own hands. Why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So, let's pray. Father, I pray that tonight, as we open up your word, as we seek to understand what you want to communicate to us through this Eighth Commandment, you would guide us. You would teach us so that we might be able to obey and show us how sinful we are so that we might see how gracious you are in saving us and forgiving us every time we sin. Be present with us, Lord. We want to hear you speak and we want to see your glory. Amen. Okay, so to summarize this passage, for verse 428, I've got three points. Grabbing hands, working hands, giving hands. God says, get rid of your grabbing hands and then put on working hands and giving hands. So, three points. Grabbing hands, working hands, giving hands. And so, yeah, let's dive in. First, grabbing hands. What does it say in verse, verse 28? It says, let the thief no longer steal. Stop snatching, stop grabbing, stop stealing things that are not yours. Put away those grabbing hands. So what does it mean? In general, this command saying, don't steal. What is, what is that, what's that requiring of us? It's telling us that if something doesn't belong to you, you can't take it. <laughs> it's pretty simple. And... If, you, if there's something you want or that you need, the way to get it is not by stealing it or doing something dishonest or unfair to get it. It's by asking for it from the one who has it or working. So that's what stealing is. When you want something and you try to get it in unfair or dishonest ways. So there's lots of ways that we can steal and maybe something you might not normally think about. Obviously, there's outright stealing. When you have a friend who has a toy or something that you want... Maybe you guys are middle schoolers, so you don't like, you know, toys. We don't do that anymore. But, but there's something you want. Or maybe they, there's someone who has money, and you take that. Or maybe there's candy at a store, or whatever it be, and you want that, so you take it. Or your parents say, you can't have this. Like, for us, there would always be creamer in the fridge. And this is kind of gross, but, and, and my mom's pop, too. And we'd go in there, and we'd be like, we'd, we'd, we'd drink it. And we'd even drink the creamer. I did that. That's pretty gross, but I was a naughty little kid. That was me before I was saved, so what can I say? Yeah. We'd, we knew we shouldn't have it. If we wanted it, we should ask our parents. And if they say no, then that means we probably shouldn't have it. Maybe they have a good reason for saying that to us. So don't steal things that are not yours. That's pretty obvious. Another way we break this command is by cheating. Because what is cheating? You want, maybe, maybe you are playing a game and you want to win that game. So you have this goal, this thing that you want or that you need, but you go about getting it in the wrong way. You're dishonest and unfair in getting it. You cheat. That's stealing. Stealing something by not getting it the way you're supposed to. Or you're, you know, you're playing sports. It's the same, same thing. If you cheat to get that thing, you're stealing. You're breaking this command. And same with school. It's good to want a good grade, but work hard to do it. Don't cheat to get it. 
Lost items. Someone leaves something. Maybe, you know, you see someone drop their wallet, or they drop a $10 bill, and you're like, oh, that's nice. You pick that up. It's not finders keepers. That is breaking this command. Finders keepers is stealing. If you find something, you try to restore it to the person who lost it. And then, you know, if, if, they, if they can't, you can't find them, then sure, finders keepers, that's fine. <laughs> but lost items, if you just take them without trying to restore it to the person who it belongs to, that's stealing. And same with like at a restaurant. You know, they give you more than you paid for or something you didn't pay for. You say, hey, did you guys make a mistake here or do you want me to have this just because you're being nice to me? And yeah, you give it back to them. And another thing is bullying. It's so like oppressing someone to try to get something from them, hurting them so that you can get something from them. That's robbery, it's bullying, you know. Give me your lunch money. That's stealing. That's stealing. And slavery is the same way. When people go to another country to take someone, snatch them, I think it's Exodus 21, 26, but don't quote me on that, where it says that's stealing. So don't steal. Don't do any of those things. Don't steal, don't cheat. All of the above. And don't borrow something saying you're going to give it back and then never give it back. So, yeah, <laughs> all of this is, it's clear that this command condemns seeking to acquire or maintain something that we have by any dishonest or unfair means. The only lawful way to acquire something is if we earn it or if it is given to us. So, remember that. And this also, command also shows us the problem in our hearts. Remember the Bible, the law says, love your neighbor as yourself. So whenever we take something that belongs to someone else and keep it for ourselves, we're saying, I love myself more than you, and I think I'm more important than you. If we love our neighbors as ourselves, then instead of being envious and jealous when they have something good, we would rejoice and thank God for his goodness to them. So it shows that you don't love people when you only care about yourself and you want to get it for yourself. You want to steal those things that don't belong to you. Another thing it shows is idolatry. Idolatry. What is that? Well, Back then, it'd be, you see a little statue, it, you say, this is God, I'm going to worship it. It's worshiping anything that is not God. And in terms that are more applicable to us today, it means putting your security, finding security or satisfaction in something, ultimate security and satisfaction in something other than God. So people do that with money all the time, right? Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. God and worldly possessions. Actually, the word mammon, if you guys take away that first M, it sounds like amen, because it came from that word. And amen means, I trust you, God. This was true. So money is something that you put your trust in. Or mammon, worldly possessions. So he's saying you can't serve both at the same time. It's either God or money. And so, so why do we steal? It's good to want something. But when we want it so much that we say, I can't live without it. I have to have this thing. Then we steal. That's breaking this command. Starts in the heart, works its way out to our hands. So what we need to do is repent of our love of money, our love of possessions or things that are not ours, our envy, our jealousy, our covetousness. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. What do we have that we can be content with? He says in the next verse, For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. Whom shall I fear? What can man do to me? I love that because it's beautiful. It says, be content with what you have. You have two things. God's presence is with you to satisfy you better than money or anything this money can offer. It's also with you to protect you. What can man do to you? 
See, God is our satisfaction and our security. There's joy in knowing him. So what should we do? Jesus says in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, food, clothing, money, they'll be added to you as well. They're not essential. What matters most is God's kingdom, seeking him. So, it seems like the application is pretty simple. Don't cheat, don't steal in your school, in your games, or your sports. Don't steal from your parents or friends. If you want something, then ask your parents. And if they decide not to give it to you, then trust that they know better than you. And submit to and respect their decision to withhold it. And then when you do want something, the proper thing to do is say, God, is it right for me to desire this thing? And you pray and you ask him to show him maybe if you're idolizing that thing. And if you think it is good and he does want you to have it, then you say, God, could you please give this to me? I want this. And I know you don't withhold good things from your children. And then you work to get it or you ask for it. You do whatever you need to get it. And then once you get it, you say, God, thank you for this gift. Thank you that you've given me this good thing. And so that's what you do. Don't steal. Ask. And work. And that's the next point. Get rid of your grabbing hands, stealing, snatching, all those things. Get some working hands on Ephesians 4, 28. Let the thief no longer steal. So you, your life is a pattern of stealing. Don't do that anymore. But rather, in contrast to that, let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. So get some working hands. Get some working hands. So what is work? <laughs> what is work and how do we do it? How does the Bible want us to do it? Well, Work is a good thing. Genesis 2.15 says God put Adam in the garden to tend it and keep it. Work's a good thing. God gave it to him before the fall. We were made to work. It's a good thing. Ecclesiastes 5.18-20 says some beautiful things about work too. It says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun. The few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and the power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. So the point there is work, find enjoyment in your toil. So God, work is a good thing. And as we work, God wants us to enjoy the work we do and also to enjoy the wealth and the possessions and the reward for that work. So, work and enjoy your work and enjoy the reward you get from it. The worker, Jesus said, is worthy of his wages. So, it's good to be rewarded. Ecclesiastes 9, 10 also says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. So, God, work is a good thing. He wants us to enjoy it and enjoy the rewards of it. And... There's another passage I wanted to go to, but I'm not going to. From all these passages, is it clear that it is God's will for us to work diligently and enjoy both our work and rewards that we earn from it? God wants us to be busy at work and not lazy and idle, just sitting around on our phones or playing video games. He wants us to do valuable, profitable things. It's good to rest. It's good to work. And turn over just two pages or two chapters over into Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. God says some beautiful things about work, so I just want to read it quick. Bondservants, 6, 5 through 9. Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, 
but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. What's the point there? He says, all your work, all your work that you do, remember that your ultimate master is not your earthly master. It's not your teacher. It's not your parents. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who saved you. And so when you work, do two things. First, he says in verse 5, he says, do it with fear and trembling. So when your teachers can't see you and your parents can't see you, and you're like, I feel like I can slack off now because no one's watching. Jesus is watching. <laughs> He's your master, and you're doing it for him. So do it with fear and trembling and always seeking to please him. Second, he says do it with a sincere heart. Now maybe you have a teacher that's not very nice, and you don't really want to do anything that they ask you because they're just mean to you. Well, you've got a higher teacher than them. And his name is Jesus. And he's telling you, work hard at your school. And so you should do it with all your heart, with a sincere heart. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not man. So you do it with fear and trembling, and you do it with a sincere heart. And God will reward you with something better than a good grade, something better than money. You're going to be with him forever in heaven. You can have your inheritance. He will reward you. So, work hard as to the Lord. All your school, everything you do. So, yeah, think about that for your summer. What are your plans for the summer? Are you gonna are you gonna work? You don't have to have a job. You know, you're still in middle school, but maybe it would be a good idea to find some ways to do something to make yourself useful to other people, and not just spend the whole time, you know, playing video games or scrolling through social media or doing whatever you do. Summer is, in a sense, it's your reward for your work. You've been working hard at school, and so you've got a good break. Enjoy it. Have fun. But don't waste it. And don't be lazy. So, get rid of your grabbing hands, stealing, cheating. Get some working hands. Work hard. And why? Why does God want us to work? So that we might have giving hands. Ephesians 4.28. Turn that page back to Ephesians 4.28. He tells us why we should work. The main goal in our working is what? So that, okay, it says, rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. What's your goal in working? I want to help other people. I want to make money so that I can serve others with that money. Christ, see how Christ transforms us? Just like he transformed George Mueller. No longer snatching, stealing, grabbing. Now we're working and we're giving. <laughs> we're not lo- no longer selfishly stingy holding back, but selflessly sacrificing our, what we have to serve others, to help others. Now we're loving our neighbor as ourselves. We, we work to take care of ourselves, to take care of our families maybe, once, we're, once we do have a family, and also to help others, to serve others. Do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith, as Paul says in Galatians 6. God wants you to work hard, and he wants to enjoy the rewards of our toil. Using our money to do what will make us happy. To do what will make us happy. He wants you to enjoy your rewards. And then Jesus adds to that. And what's the thing that you, if you use your money for this, it'll make you the most happy. It says in Acts 20, 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. God wants you to be most happy with how you use your money. 
So he says, give it to others. Use it to serve others. And we've got a whole bunch of verses I want to show, but I'm not going to do all of them because we're running out of time. But there's three ways that he wants us to give. Hospitality, helping the poor and the needy, and supporting missionaries and pastors. And I'm just going to read one of those verses to support those. So hospitality, helping the poor, and supporting missionaries and pastors. This is Luke 14, 12 to 14 for hospitality. He says, he's also said to the man, this is Jesus. He also said to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you and you be repaid. You don't want to be repaid. That's what he's saying. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be paid at the resurrection of the just. Hospitality means loving strangers. People whom it's not natural for us to love. But Jesus transforms our hearts so that we do that. People who can't repay us. And so give generously. And give by showing hospitality. By helping the needy, the poor. By supporting pastors and missionaries. So you can think, how can I do that maybe this summer? Maybe you can make a little bargain with your parents. Hey, I'll do these jobs for you so that I can give money to a Compassion International child. Or maybe so we can support Palamala Yuvaraj or over in India or the Tituses. Think about that. How can I use my money to serve others? That's how God wants us to think. No longer grabbing, but now working so that we can have giving hands. So, yeah. It's beautiful how Christ transforms us, how he makes us new. This command is essentially teaching us to love others enough to sacrifice ourselves for them, to become poor so that others might become rich, to humble ourselves so that others might be exalted, and to, hold with, and to withhold things we love from, from ourselves so that we might give them to others. And isn't that what Jesus has done for us? 2 Corinthians 8, 9, when Paul's telling them to be generous, he says this, here's what you should do when you're thinking about what you're giving. Consider the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, for you, for sinners like you and me, he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. The word grace means something for which you give thanks. That's like the word care, that's what it means. Something for which you give thanks. And it's, it's this disposition of just generosity. Christ gives to us when we were spiritually impoverished, when we were spiritually destitute. When people are in poverty, the problem is not just that they don't have enough to provide for themselves, but that they, they don't even have a way to get out of that hole. They're dug too deep. And that was how we were. We were in debt to God. We were dead in sin. We could not pay our debt. We could not ransom our souls from death. But it says... In 1 Peter 1, knowing that you were redeemed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Those things wouldn't work to get you out of the mess we were in. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He gave himself. He shed his blood for you. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. He went down, came down from heaven's throne, to be in a feeding trough. From his celestial palace to be in 
to be born in a barn. And from his father's rich house to be in the family of a poor carpenter. And then in his life, he went about doing good, helping sick people. And then on the cross, he gave himself for us. He humbled himself to the lowest place so that we could be raised all the way up to heaven. And Ephesians 2, 7 says, In him we have redemption. The forgiveness of our trespasses, well, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. You might sin a lot. You might trespass, transgress God's law, step over the boundary a lot. But he says he forgives them according to the riches of his grace. His grace is eternal. His grace is infinite. You cannot outsin God's grace. And he takes more pleasure in... Because, you know, it said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's because that's how God's heart is. He's more happy from giving to you than receiving from you. He takes more pleasure in forgiving your sins than you taking committing them. God is gracious. Remember when Jesus was crucified? Who were next to him on the two crosses next to him? Who was crucified there? The thief. The thief on the cross. They knew they deserved to be crucified. They knew they deserved the penalty for their sins. But Jesus, he'd done no wrong. And one of them said, Lord, Jesus, I'm a sinner. But remember me, even me, when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. He'd done nothing to deserve that. Jesus was inviting someone to his feast in heaven who could never repay him. And that's how it is for all of us. We can't do anything to repay him. He comes and gets the lame people, the blind people, the invalid people, like us, sinners. And he invites us to come and join heaven with him forever. And all we can do is say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. I don't deserve it. So come to him like the thief. And realize that the same heart that led Jesus to joyfully and willingly offer himself up to bear the wrath of God and die for you is now exalted in heaven, eager and happy to pour out mercy on undeserving sinners. He's not stingy or reluctant to give to us when we keep coming back for mercy. It's easy to spend money on what we love. You know, if I like something, it's easy for me to spend money on it. And he loves us. So the cost was great, but he was, he's a cheerful giver. It says in 2 Corinthians 9, God loves a cheerful giver. Jesus is cheerful. He's glad. When you come to him laden with guilt to forgive, to forgive you. Just acknowledge you're a charity case. We all are. We all are poor and needy. Don't let your pride keep you from coming because you need it. And that's what this whole series is about, trying to show you that you've broken God's law and you need his grace. You need his forgiveness. So come. And also don't, don't let your doubts keep you from coming because he is able. He's got all the resources. He's got enough so that if the whole world came There'd be enough for everyone. No one would be turned away. There's enough to go around, enough grace in Jesus to go around. He's able and he's willing. He loves to forgive sinners. So I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you laden with guilt. You've done bad things today. You've stolen maybe. You've cheated. You've broken God's law. He wants to forgive you. So believe in him and turn from your sins. Come and receive his mercy, just like George Miller. And then turn from your wicked ways, put off your old self, put on your new self. Live for him.
Father, thank you. Thank you for your word, for your grace. That you are a cheerful giver. You love to just pour out your mercy on us. And fill our hearts with gratitude so that we might live lives of obedience to you and generosity to help others, to help the poor, to support missionaries and pastors and to show hospitality to people who can never return that love to us. Be with us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.